All right, guys, we'll go ahead and, and get your Bibles out. It's our time where we honor God by devoting ourselves to the study of his word. And, and we've been in Genesis for a long time, but we're actually taking a break from Genesis this week. I know everyone's like, <gasps> we never do that, but I can do whatever I want. I'm the pastor. So <laughs> I'm taking a break this week from Genesis and whatever Jesus wants. Right. So the Lord put it on my heart. As last week we studied knowing the Lord's will. I know this is, no. Um, so we're going we're gonna to study a, a word today, one word, all right? And so the title of the message today is, You Should Know Your Propitiation. So the word we're going to learn about today is propitiation. Now, who has never heard of the word propitiation before in your life? All right, so about half to two-thirds of us have never even heard that word. And it's in the Bible. This is a word that actually is in the Bible like four times. So I don't know what you all doing. No, just kidding. Um, it's so good for us to get into this word because it's one of the most important words. Now, it's a word that we don't use much in English anymore. Um, but as I've been going about in my life, um, this word has opened the most doors for me ever in sharing the gospel. Um, and so that's why I really had it on my heart to share. We talked about an anchor group um, about two weeks ago. And it kind of just got me hooked on, on studying it. I studied it even more. I discovered even more about it that I was really excited. So that's why I'm taking a break this week from Genesis, because it was, it was like burning in my heart. And I had to take a break and study it because uh, it's, it just, it'll make you cry. You might cry. You might laugh a little, but it'll move you. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, who you uh, gave so willingly and freely for us. And God, I pray that you would um, fill us with your Holy Spirit. I pray that every single person right now would be just um, able to hear your voice. Lord, that, that we would understand that we're wretched sinners. And we wouldn't be hiding behind anything. We would, we would just be open with that. And Lord, knowing that you, you don't require us to be perfect you just require us for, to trust you. So Lord, help us to grow our trust in your perfect son today. In your name we pray, amen. Again, you should know your propitiation. In the book, Written in Blood, Robert Coleman tells a story of a little boy whose sister needed a blood transfusion. Now the doctor explained that she had the same disease that the little boy had recovered from a couple years earlier. Her only chance for recovery was a transfusion from someone who had previously conquered the disease, okay? Since the two children had the same blood type, it was a rare blood type, the boy was the ideal donor. So they asked this question, would you give your blood to Mary? That's what the doctor asked this little boy. So Johnny hesitated and his lips started to quiver and he smiled and said, sure, for my sister. Soon the two children were wheeled into the hospital room and Mary was pale and thin and Johnny was robust and healthy. Neither spoke, but when their eyes met, Johnny grinned. And as the nurse inserted the needle into Johnny's arm, Johnny's smile started to fade a bit. And with the ordeal, as the blood began to flow through that tube, his voice broke the silence and he said, So... When do I die? 
Only then did the doctor realize the why Johnny had hesitated and why his lip had trembled when he agreed to give his blood to his sister. It's because he thought by giving his blood to his sister, he would be giving up his life. So in brief, in that brief moment, he, he had to make a great decision. And Johnny, fortunately, didn't have to die for his sister. It was just a blood transfusion. However, each of us have a condition, condition much more serious than Mary's condition. And it required Jesus to not only give his blood, but his life. And as I was growing in my Christian faith and I was here and going to church and just as a kid who maybe doesn't understand everything about the Bible and I was just going to church, there were some things that I was curious about. I mean, I heard that Jesus died on the cross, but I didn't know why he had to die on the cross. I didn't know why he had to suffer. I mean, is, is it just him dying, just a magical thing that fixes us or heals us or saves us? I didn't understand why he had to suffer and I also didn't understand why God couldn't just change his mind about our sin. Why did he actually, what actually happened when he died on the cross? What did that do for God and me? And why does it matter to me? I mean, can't I just ask God to forgive my sins and he does? What, what does this whole Jesus on the cross thing have to do with that question? I mean, we tell people, ask Jesus to forgive, ask God to forgive your sins, ask Jesus to forgive your sins. Is it really just a question? That's, that's the difference between someone going to hell for eternity and someone going to heaven for eternity? What is going on here? In the book of Isaiah, and if you would please turn with me to the book of Isaiah, starting 50, we see some bizarre statements about what the Messiah or God's son would have to go through on earth. Isaiah is written many centuries before Jesus, and God wanted it to be clear about what his son would go through. And these are, these are bizarre. So first, let's look at what man would do to Jesus. Okay, we're going to separate this by what man would do to Jesus and what the father would do to Jesus. In Isaiah 50, verse 6, we see a small tidbit of what man would do. It says, I gave my back to those who struck me. And my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. So these are the things man would do to him. We get one verse of it. And all of those things sound horrible, especially the beard part. But it would be horrible, all those things. And we imagine when we think of the cross, a lot of times we have the picture of Mel Gibson's movie up there and we see Jesus bloody and broken because of the beating and, the, and we think that was the suffering. But skip ahead three chapters to Isaiah chapter 53 and we see a much different description. And this is the description of what God the Father did to his son on the cross. This is not man, this is the loving Father. He says in Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6 and 10, But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Skipping down to 10, 
yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin. All of the descriptions of pain and suffering right there were upon Jesus' soul, not necessarily his body. His body did experience all of those things, but that was merely an outward sign of what was going on inwardly and what the Father was doing to him. Let me review these words that we see the Father doing to the Son in the soul, wounding it, bruising it, stripes, iniquity being laid on it. The Father bruised him. He put him to grief in his soul. His soul became that offering for sin. Turn to 1 John with me. We're going to cruise up on to 1 John. It's right before the book of Revelation, so just go to the end and work your way backwards. Probably find it faster than trying to find it in the middle of the New Testament. Well, this sounds brutal. This sounds vicious. It sounds mean. Yet we see it pleased God to be brutal and vicious and mean to Jesus. It pleased God. Is he some sort of horrible, mean deity that loves violence? No. But it did please him to do this to his son. Why? Why did it have to be so terrible? Why did it have to be so brutal? And it's because of the word propitiation. Everyone say it with me. Propitiation. One more time, just because we've never said it before. Propitiation. It's an old English word that's very technical and very precise, and we don't use it anymore, but it means to satisfy the wrath of God. Okay? So in 1 John, we see it used twice. This will blow your mind. I'm sure you've read 1 John 50 times, and maybe you've just gone right over this verse. Maybe you thought about it for a minute. Maybe you even looked it up. And you got this idea, or you might have the NIV where it translates it a different way, uh, atoning sacrifice. But propitiation is a great word. And instead of us dumbing down our translations, let's go bigger brains, all right? Let's, let's actually learn a new word. Propitiation. First John chapter 2, verse 2. And he, Jesus himself, is the propitiation for our sins. And not ours for ours only, but also for the whole world. And then in John, 1 John 4.10, and we're just going to keep your finger in these two spots because we're going to refer back to these. In 1 John 4.10, it says, In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So what does this word propitiation mean? Well, let me nerd out on you for a minute. The Greek is hilasmos. Everyone say hilasmos. All right, you guys are learning so much today. Propitiation is hilasmos. Very important. It means to satisfy the wrath of God. Okay? The wrath of God? Yes. God is very angry about some stuff. He created this world perfect, and it's been wrecked. 
I know when one of my sons builds a great thing on Minecraft and another brother comes in and wrecks it, they are super mad. Or back in my day, Legos. You build your connects, your Legos, your Lincoln Logs even, and the other kid comes in and kicks in, pretends he's Godzilla. It does not go well in the nursery. You might see some fists thrown. You might see some angry words said. Well, God is angry. He created this world perfect. And sin has come in and wrecked it. We did. We came in and wrecked it. More than that, he sees all the horrible sin and hatred and murder and abuse of innocence, and he feels all the pain of that sin in his heart. People say, how could there be a God if there's so much evil in the world? Well, there is a God, and he is very angry. He's a million times more angry than you are. He's so angry about it. Every time an innocent person suffers, he feels it in his heart. So yes, he has wrath. He is very angry about that thing. It's totally justified. He hates sin. He hates the consequences of sin. He hates it all. So all of this righteous, divine hatred of sin must be satisfied. It must be dealt with. Every sin in the world must be made right. God is going to make things right. As we're studying end times now in the nitty gritty, it's a study of how Jesus is going to come and fix everything. He's going to make it right. It must be paid for. Every single one, every single little sin, no one is ever going to get away with anything, period. And we think maybe we'll get away with something. Or we think the evil people who look like they're getting away with stuff in the world today are getting away. They're not. They will never get away with it. Every last drop of the penalty will be paid. There must be propitiation, not expiation. Whoa, big word number three. Expiation. Everyone say expiation. Whoa, that sounded kind of creepy. Like in, well, there's this movie called The Mist where. They're like, uh, this lady goes crazy thinking that these demon monsters are, are uh, God's wrath. And so she keeps, she like goes nuts and she's like, expiation, we must make a sacrifice. And they try to make a human sacrifice. Well, expiation is not the same as propitiation. They're similar. And I want to explain this very carefully. Expiation means to get a deity or a God to change their mind. Getting God to change his mind. God did not change his mind about sin. That's what we need to understand. Very important. God does not ever change his mind about sin. Your sin damns you to hell. And he never changes his mind. But there can be propitiation. This word expiation is a word that the pagans would use when they were trying to do their uh, sacrifices, human sacrifices to demon gods, uh, to try to get them to change their minds so they wouldn't be angry anymore. You see, God, or uh, the, the ancient peoples of this world always knew that there was a sin problem. They knew that they had done wrong and they experienced the curse. Everyone died and there was all these bad things happening and cancer and wars. And so they tried to appease the gods by doing human sacrifices. And they figured the most valuable thing we could sacrifice is the life of a human and so they would do human sacrifices. And here are nine different cultures that practiced human sacrifices to expiate or bring expiation from their gods. Okay, this is the uh, Incan people right here, or Aztec. Did you put the names on them? 
No, okay. These are Incas right here. And this was a, a mummy. Okay, these are uh, from Egypt because they practiced human sacrifice. Uh, next one. This was the Aztecs. And see them taking his heart out. The Mayas, they did human sacrifice. Uh, these are the Hawaiians. He's about to take a... There's the, the Celts from Ireland. They build a giant guy and then they would burn it in there. That was in the movie The Wicker Man. All right. Uh, this was in China. They're missing their heads. And, oh, the Israelites right here. And that, see that brass statue of that thing is Molech. And the Israelites, when they went into idolatry, they, they would sacrifice their babies. They, that's a bra, bronze statue of Molech. And they would heat the fire under their hands and they would put the baby in there and let it melt in there as a sacrifice to this god. All right, next. Uh, I don't remember what that one is, but that's, that's a, a thing where they would sacrifice people. There, is there another one? Uh, that's it. Okay. So this expiation has been seen throughout the world. People have known that they need to change God's mind somehow about sin, but God's mind never changes, so that's a problem. All these pictures just remind us that people don't want God to be angry with them anymore. And they were looking for this. They, they wanted the deities to forget the sin that they had committed. But we got to understand that that does not happen. That's why we got to know this word propitiation. See, propitiation is different. It means that God's anger at sin was satisfied and not forgotten and not changed, satisfied. And this is a big deal. What does that mean? Well, I want you, and we're going to get a little serious here, but I want you to imagine that you have a child. And I want you to imagine that this child is kidnapped. And while this child is being held captive, the child is abused and eventually killed. Your child. And the police, they catch this killer. And we live in some alternate reality where they bring him to your doorstep. And they say that you have the right and responsibility to punish him and to exact vengeance on the sin that was committed against you. Secondly, you could imagine Hitler gets caught instead of killing himself, and they bring him to your door and say, the lives of these six million people or however many people he killed, you need to exact that from him. You need to exact that punishment. You need to take it out of his hide. What are you going to do? And they, get, they only say, your fists is what you can use. And imagine with me how much you're going to punish him. What would the lives, how much are they worth? How many punches, how bloody would be your fist until you could get up and say, we're even. All right, take him away. I'm done. I'm satisfied. Being able to say, we're even, we're good, I'm satisfied, I have no more anger about your crime. That's a, that's a lot of wrath to pour out, right? And that's one life. 
or six million lives. Well, imagine what God has in him. Imagine the limitless reserves of wrath that he has stored up that he has decided to pour out on Jesus. He could not just forget sin. He could not say, boys will be boys. Men will be men. I'll just say it's forgiven. <laughs> Laugh it off. All of your abuses and crimes and sin. No. God cannot do that. Let's look at our verse again in 1 John 2.2. 2. It says, He himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the whole world. Every sin in the world, for every sin ever committed, God poured his wrath out on Jesus on the cross. And God hates sin with more passion than we could ever imagine. Yet he poured all of that hatred of sin onto his beloved son. He loved his son more than anything. Yet he poured his hate onto his beloved who did not sin. Why? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. Our, our verse in 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. He's saying love is the foundation of everything that God does. He can be described as a God of love. Yet we have all this sin and anger and hatred. How can God be a God of love? Well, because he chose to love you when you did not love him. And he chose to love you even more than he loved his only son. He said, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus had a mission he was sent on to be the propitiation for our sins. During that time on the cross, he was the propitiation. He was satisfying God's wrath. He opened himself up to receive the wrath, to be beaten by God, the Father, for sin, for all sin. Being a Christian is not so much about loving God as being loved by him and receiving what he did. When a heart begins to comprehend how much Jesus did for us when he died on the cross, only then can it produce a loving response back. If you struggle with, God, I don't love you enough, the only solution for that is to look at Jesus on the cross and see how much he loved you. It's the only thing that changes a hard heart. The blood of Jesus softens the ground of a hard heart. It's been said that Christ received into his own bosom every arrow of God's quiver. And everyone dipped in the poison of the curse. So just imagine Jesus on the cross and God being all Katniss on him. Emptying the quiver into his son. Now, let's get really personal for a moment. Think of that time when you messed up. 
when you really messed up. Our verse in First John, John 2 said that Jesus is the propitiation for our sin. That word is is in the present tense, not the past tense. Very important. It means that Jesus is continuing today satisfying the wrath of God for your sins. Is. Have you ever thought that God was angry with you? That is a lie from Satan. He's not mad at you. Oh, but you don't know what I did. You're right, I don't. But I know God is not angry. Well, how can he, I mean, I deserve for him to be angry with me. I mean, I believe in Jesus, but I should never have done that. Yes, that's true. But God can't be angry with you. I mean, think about that time and what you did. I mean, you thought God was mad at you. Maybe your parents were mad at you. Maybe your dog was even mad at you. And probably all for good reason, all well-deserved. But God was not mad at you. It's an absolute impossibility because of the word propitiation. I'm here to tell you God is not mad at you and will never, ever, 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 ever be mad at you. He hates your sin, but he's not mad at you because it's impossible for God to be angry at you when you're in Christ. God has poured out all the wrath already into Jesus, and so he stands and looks at Jesus and says, we're good. All sin is paid for in Christ. I poured it all out on him. When you're in Christ, which means you personally believe and receive what he did for you on the cross, God sees Jesus when he looks at you. And he has no more anger at your sin because the anger was all poured out on Jesus 2,000 years ago. His quiver's empty. It's done. And this is the glorious and amazing difference that Jesus dying on the cross makes. He saves us from God's wrath and anger at our sins. And now we can have a joyous relationship with our Father, never fearing our sin. When you sin, should you sin? No. But when you sin, you just run right back to him. You accept the, the command of 1 John 1, 9, confess your sins and he's faithful and just to forgive your sins. When Jesus became all that sin for us, he let God nail him to the cross and pour his anger per, uh, of a perfectly righteous God on his perfectly righteous son. So now what happens is 1 John 2, 1, the verse right before the verse that we're reading about Jesus being the propitiation for our sins, the verse right before it shows what Jesus gives us now, what we can have now. And he says, my little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Why is Jesus such a great advocate, such a great lawyer for us? Because he already paid the price. He says, Jesus is our lawyer when we sin and Satan comes into the courtroom and he says, your honor, this man has sinned. And Jesus stands up and says, yes, this man sinned. And you're like, what kind of lawyer is that? But then Jesus stands up and he says, your honor, I have paid already for that sin. 
And the father says, yes, you did. I remember pouring out the wrath, extracting payment for this sin from your flesh and your soul. And I am completely satisfied. Get out, Satan. And that's where you all cheer. I am no longer angry about that sin. Come and dine with me. Come and hang out with me. Your sin is not a problem anymore. When you come to the Lord by faith in Jesus Christ. That's why it's such a big deal to understand what the word propitiation means. And here's what you can do. You can go out in the world and you can say, hey, do you know what propitiation means? And they're like, what are you talking about? You say, hey, I got to tell you this because it changed my life. It changed my heart. I love God because he is my propitiation. Jesus is my propitiation. I made God angry and he's not angry anymore. Not because I made a human sacrifice, but because he made a divine sacrifice and human sacrifice. The only one that mattered. Now this is the part that's going to blow my, that blew my mind as I was studying. Okay. We're going deeper you guys ready to go deeper? I want to go deeper. Now, Jesus knew that this was the plan. He knew it. He knew he was going to suffer the wrath of God. And he still did it. That's what blows my mind. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he was going to do this, he was pretty stressed out. He knew that this was going to happen. And three times he asked for this cup to pass because he could handle anything the people did to him. He wasn't worried about the beard or the beatings or the nails. No, he knew the power of God's wrath, that it would destroy him. It was the only thing that he feared. And why did? why was he so acquainted with the Force of this wrath is because he felt it too, because they're one. He knew what God was going to do to him because it's what he would do to us if we didn't have a sacrifice. He's really mad about sin. But yet he loves us so much that he said, Father, if this is your will, I love them too. If this is the only way, I'm in. And you can pour your wrath on me. And then remember on the cross, when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just imagine the, what Jesus was enduring at that moment. The beating from his father for every sin in the world. It was invisible, but it was vicious. It was hatred. It was experiencing the hatred of the one you love more than anything. That's what Jesus did for us. But Jesus, he knew that this was coming. In fact, all the people should have known this was coming. And this is the part where we get as deep, oh my gosh, this will blow your mind. Check this out. For thousands of years, the people knew, this, or they should have known, that this was how it had to be. Remember with me the Ark of the Covenant. It was that, that box 
that God commanded Moses to create. And in that box, they put the broken tablets of the Ten Commandments. Remember, Moses came down, smashed the Ten Commandments, all scattered on the ground. Well, someone, probably Joshua, went and picked him up, put him in this box, put a lid over that box, all in gold, okay? And then there's two angels on either side of the top of this box. And the top area of that box is called, anyone know? The mercy seat. Now, does anyone know what that word is in Greek? No Greek scholars? All right. Well, it's not that hard. Helosterion. You're like, what does that mean? It's the same word for propitiation in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. They chose the word helasterion, which is the place of propitiation. Now, that doesn't make sense in English unless you've been to this church today. But unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's the same word. Now, here's the ark. Broken commandments. Two angels, mercy seat. Above it was the Shekinah glory of God or his very presence. Him, everything about him, all of his glory, goodness, all right there, glowing magic. I don't understand. All right. Now, what they would do every year is they would kill a lamb, a spotless lamb, on Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. Huh, what do you think Kippur translates to in Greek? Helasterion. The Day of Atoning for the, the Wrath of God. And they would take this lamb, this spotless lamb, and they would cut its throat, and they would take the blood, and they would dip it in hyssop, this plant called hyssop, and they would sprinkle it onto the mercy seat, the place of the satisfaction of God's wrath. See, the people who were paying attention knew that God's wrath would be satisfied someday by the Lamb of God. And so you have John the Baptist showing up, and Jesus walks up, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. Why are the disciples surprised when Jesus goes and dies on the cross? That part I don't understand. He told them like 40 times, I'm going to go die on the cross. And they didn't get it. But it had to be this way. Jesus knew it. The Jews knew it. And then as I was studying for this, I noticed something really interesting. Again, the physical part of Jesus on the cross was not the punishment for all the sins of the world. It was God's wrath being poured on him invisibly. And so I want you to see this picture. So picture that, that Ark of the Covenant, broken sin, brokenness, our brokenness of our sins with the broken Ten Commandments. And then God appear. What's between perfect God and the broken commandments? This propitiation, the mercy seat. So I want you to picture in your mind a cross. Okay, so you have the brokenness here. You have God's presence up here. God pouring out his wrath and you have a cross and you have these two arms sticking out and these two angels. It's almost like the angels are stretching him out so that he can receive the punishment of God spiritually in him. I just find that amazing. It just breaks me. 
as Jesus cries out in pain, he thinks of you. He thinks of all the times that we sin and everything he's paying for, but then he thinks about the glorious day when you fall in love with him. And he thinks about what your love means to his heart. And he says, I'm willing to wait until November 1st, 2015, when they figure it out, how much I freaking love them, how much I'm going to do for them, how wide open the door is to God and his very presence and glory and blessings all through the sacrifice of his son. He says, I'll be your propitiation today. I don't care if you've heard about Jesus a million times. I don't care if you've committed a million sins. This propitiation love cannot be ignored. We have to think about it every day, what Jesus did for us, and it will transform us. But it's either received or rejected. This is the thing that people receive or reject in this world. Look at John 3, 36. John chapter 3, verse 36. As glorious as propitiation is, as glorious as what Jesus did is, the same is the fearfulness of someone who rejects it how they should be afraid. Look what John 3.36 says. Jesus says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Boom. Done. You believe in what Jesus did? Done. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The price has already been paid and people are rejecting it. Jesus isn't going back and saying, well, I'm not going to count theirs. The price has already been paid, and people reject it. They want, they're choosing the wrath of God rather than the love of his son. And they make up all kinds of excuses. Oh, well, it's, it's just stupid for God to say, you have to believe this one way. No, you're stupid. <laughs> Quote your pastor on that. Hashtag, whatever. <laughs> you think that Jesus can come down and sacrifice and you can say there's another way? No. Go to hell is what Jesus says. That's what Jesus says. Hey, you don't believe in what I'm going to do for you? What can I do? I did everything I possibly could to beg you to accept my sacrifice. I did everything. And you're going to sit there and say, no, I'm fine. I don't need what Jesus did for me. No, 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 no. And the father will say, no, no, no. No, 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 no. You either accept his work of satisfying God's wrath or you got to satisfy it. And that, my friend, is an eternity in hell. That's what Jesus absorbed 
in three hours on the cross is an eternity of hell for you. All the wrath poured into that, you can't even, it'll never come to an end for you. But for Jesus, he took it. How could he take an eternity? I don't know. He's eternal. I don't, he's God. I don't understand how much wrath got poured into him, how it was confined to three hours. I don't get all that stuff. But I know that he took it so I don't have to. Oswald Chambers teaches us this. You guys like Oswald? Name your kid that. It's, bring it back. He says, we trample the blood of the Son of God if we think that we are forgiven because we're sorry for our sins. I don't care. Who cares if you're sorry? For, God doesn't care if you're sorry for your sins. He only cares if you believe in what Jesus did for your sins. And you can be sorry. I understand. But that doesn't accomplish anything. The only explanation for the forgiveness of God and for the unfathomable depth of his forgetting is the death of Jesus Christ. Our repentance is merely an outcome of our personal realization of the atonement which he has worked out for us. It does not matter who or what we are. There is absolute reinstatement into God by the death of Jesus Christ and by no other way. Not because Jesus Christ pleads, but because he died. It is not earned, but accepted. All the pleading which deliberately refuses to recognize the cross is of no avail. It is battering at the door other than the one that Jesus has already opened. Our Lord does not pretend we are all right when we are all wrong. The atonement is the propitiation whereby God, through the death of Jesus, makes an unholy man holy. So good. Have you made this decision to believe in what Jesus did for you and to accept his offer of eternal life and forgiveness? Have you done that? It is totally available to you today. It's right now being held out in some blood-stained hands. Invisibly, of course. And how do you take it? Invisibly, by faith. Say, I I believe in my heart and what Jesus did. You're a sinner. You are ungodly. So am I. The only way to be brought back to God is Jesus, what Jesus did for you. And you can be forgiven right now. Believe in your heart at what Jesus did for you. Have a talk with God about your sin. Ask him to forgive you for it because of what Jesus did. Get rid of it for good, because that works. It does wash you clean. You were red like scarlet, you will be white as snow by faith. If you don't, you're telling God, I don't need what your son, your beloved son did for me. And how do you think that will go when you meet the father of that son who willingly gave his son for you and you reject it? It will not go well. So if you believe, Jesus says very simply, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my heavenly father. Tell someone that you believe. 
when we close this service, when we, I want you to get up and talk to someone and say, I made a decision to believe in Jesus today. And I just want to pray with someone. I just want to get strengthened. I just want to plug in. I want to learn and grow in all that Jesus has for me. Because this changed my life and is going to change my life. Deal? All right. There it is. Jesus was brutally killed and tortured so you don't have to be. So that you could be adopted as God's son and daughter. Saved and now equipped by his grace to live a new life. Godly for him. Turning away from your sin. It's all there. Because Jesus promises to come and live inside you today by faith. And this is a promise for believers and unbelievers. You can decide to be a believer today, and believers, you need Jesus just as much today as you did the day you got saved. We talk about that all the time. So don't ever forget what the word propitiation means, all right? Guys, this Thursday we're going to have a discussion about it uh, at anchor groups, uh, talking about what propitiation means, talking about times where we felt like God was mad at us, um, talking about why the Father abandoned his Son on the cross, and uh, how the love of God changes us. So if you want to come out and discuss those things with us, maybe you've never even come before, that's cool. we got a few more. Just come on out. We'll, we'll get to know each other. But let's all stand up. Father, we uh, can't believe what you did to your son. But you ask us to remember it. And you ask us to do it all the time through communion. To remember that he is our propitiation. So Lord, we want to be obedient to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're going to sing a song here, and, and communion's open. So if you believe in what Jesus did for you, then please come up and take communion and just take it inside of you. Remember what he did for you. And if this is the first time that you've ever believed, you are welcome to come and take communion, to really know that Jesus is inside you by faith. That's what it pictures there's no magic formula. But if you do not believe in your heart, don't come up and take communion. That's between you and God, but God says, that makes me really mad. When you're fake and you know you don't believe and you just want people to think that you're okay. No, I can make you okay. If you'll confess your sins and believe on the Son right now, you're okay. And you can come up and take communion and all that. But this is between you and God. This is not something that anyone else cares about. We turn off the lights so no one should see you. I know you can still see each other, but it avoids tripping and stains and all that. But this is really between you and God. So let's sing to Jesus. <clears throat>